And we're going to finish up chapter 11 tonight. The rest of the heroes of faith, the hall of faith, whatever name you would like to assign it. I like the heroes of faith because to me there really are heroes. When you, when you look at this group of people, there are people that you can model your life after in many ways. But I want you to also draw some attention, especially to tonight. There are a lot of flaws in these guys. They're not perfect by any shake of the imagination. And so I think that the great message there is, is that God can use all of us right where we're at. And with all of our silly quirks and the things that are different about each one of us and the gifts that we may have uh, that someone else doesn't and the ones that we don't have that they do, you know, all of those things uh, really speak to this issue of faith. And I want to encourage you to kind of keep your eye out for a, for a phrase tonight. And it's really the phrase for by faith or by faith for by faith precedes almost every single one of these particular uh, people's lives, these circumstances, the situations we're going to see as we finish up here in chapter 11 for by faith, Jacob for by faith, uh, Isaac for by faith, Moses, all of these great characters that we know quite a bit about from the old Testament live their lives by faith. And so that secret ingredient uh, that we saw in the first six verses of this chapter, as we recognize that faith is, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of those things that are yet not seen. It, as I've shared with you several times, it has substance. In other words, it's, it's a tangible asset to you. And it has evidence. There are things that it produces in your life. So you could look at it. Uh, we use the term in, in a biblical sense, apologetics. It comes from a Greek word, apologia. And as, you, and as you look at that word, what it really means is to give a defense. And so as, as you think on that, faith allows you those privileges of having a substance to your life as a believer and to also at the same time have evidence that gives you that defense. When someone comes to me and says, well, you know, you, you just, you, you Christians are all the same. You know, you lean on the, the religious crutch. No, I don't lean on a religious crutch at all. I have utter faith in the Son of God. And that faith is very real to me. It's the substance of who I am. To, to a very large degree. It's what I am to a very large degree. And the evidence of that is the things that go on in my life that are transformed by faith. There are things that I don't understand. There are things that when I look out, I go back in my own life and I realize, man, God did that. And we were simply praying for it. You know, Connie and I were not supposed to be able to have kids. Uh, we have two boys. Uh, it, it's, it was like, no, there is no way on this earth you're going to ever have children. And so as, as we're praying and we're seeking the Lord, it's like, God, you know, we don't know what you're doing. And so much so where we resigned to whatever God wanted to do, we picked up, packed everything into a storage unit and moved to Austria. We thought we're just going to go on the mission field. If we're not going to have kids, we'll go in the mission field. We'll go do what God wants to do in some other place. But by faith... You know, I kind of, we were actually known at Calvary Chapel Vista as Abraham and Sarah. And so it was like, you know, it's like, you, you, yeah, he was a lot of, I just look as old as Abraham. But yeah, you, you, and so there's substance to it. There's evidence of it. Those things are absolutely true. And so there is evidence. And so when you see this phrase, 
by faith or for by faith. You have to realize that what's being said is there wasn't another way for it to occur. Faith is a necessary ingredient in the, in the life of the body of Christ, us as believers. If you're living your life just by sight, or like I'm prone to do with spreadsheets and analyzing things, looking at, you know, I figure out every angle that you possibly can to make it happen or not make it happen. It's the way God made me, and I'm grateful for it. But it can be deceptive. There are times when you just have to back up and say, God, I trust you. I have faith in you. I don't really have faith in myself. I sure don't have faith in our country. I mean, I love our country. wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But I don't have faith that the government's going to turn around next week. I don't have faith in our Congress. I don't have faith in our president. I don't have faith in those dollar bills we have in our wallet. You take one of those things out. I was looking back just for fun at, at uh, this is how sick I am. I have records of, of my first paychecks and stuff. And I, when, when I was in, in high school still and I got my first job, the student minimum wage at the time was $1.35 an hour. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like dollar thirty-five an hour. I mean, that doesn't—you'd have to work two hours to afford a cup of coffee at today's rate. And you look back on it, and and I saw God do things with those silly wages. When Connie and I got married, our whole household income was eight dollars and fifty cents an hour, total between the two of us. So you you live your life a little differently as a Christian. You have to have faith. Because God can expand dollars. He makes them go further than they should. Scripture says, so that the soles of your shoes will not wear out. God does things that we cannot explain. He doesn't always have to have the logical path to an end game. He can step in at any moment in time, and by faith, we receive those things. And so I want to encourage you, strongly encourage you, from this passage tonight, we're going to finish up verses 20 to 40. And I know it's a bunch, but I think we can do it. They served the Lord for, for such a um, long period of time. And so we're going to pray for these men and for our time in the Word. Father God, uh, we want to lift up all these men named Chuck to you. Lord, and the crazy thing is, is you know the hairs on the head or the lack thereof of each. God, you know their beginning. You know their end. You know the number of their days. You have ordained a time for them to be here and then to be home with you. And selfishly, God, we want to just ask that you'd extend their days. Lord, we want to pray for Charles and Kirk. Lord, God, would you just be with Diane tonight? Lord, what a terrible thing to witness. Uh, watching your husband of, of all these years uh, pass away before your eyes. God, would you just do a miracle? We simply ask you to do a miracle. I heal him again, Lord. You've already done it two or three times. Heal him again. We believe you can do it. We pray for Pastor Chuck, Lord, just my dear friend, my boss, Lord, my mentor. God, would you just touch his body? And, and Lord, the, the radiation and the, the chemo is, is doing its, its business right now. And it's destroying even good cells. And, Lord, it's causing his red blood count to go down and just a number of things. And, Lord... Uh, we know that, that you're stronger than chemo and you're stronger than radiation. You're stronger than the cancer. And so, God, again, we just beseech you as the Lord of hosts, Lord, the one who is over everything, to heal him. And for Chuck Colson, Lord, as he 
uh, right now is unconscious. Uh, he had that brain bleed, and, and God is may never take a, another breath on his own. We don't know. But we know he knows you, and we know that he loves you, and he's been serving you for so many years. And so be with these uh, men of God. Lord, be with their families. Lord, touch their wives and their children uh, with your goodness, with your glory. And Lord, as we study your word tonight, Lord, give us faith uh, that will withstand the storm. Give us faith that will cause us to walk into any battle bravely. Lord, give us faith that will help us to grow. Give us faith, God, tonight to trust you in the little things. Give us faith, God, to leave the big things in your hands. We love you. We thank you, God, for the the privilege to be able to gather together in this warm building on a cold night in a country where we're still free. We thank you, Lord. Increase our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 20 here in Hebrews chapter 11. For by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And, And I want you to really lay hold of a couple of things here with these first several people. We can we can look at the negative things. If you look at the story of Jacob and Esau, you're going, I'm not sure they were really a blessing. I mean, there's cheating and lying and deceit and greed and craft and, you know, messing with each other and all of the things that go along with the story. But I want you to see something that's even greater. And that's that in spite of all that stuff, God still accomplished what God set out to do. God's sovereign plan uh, still worked out. In spite of the fact that Jacob and Esau were not exactly the the prime examples of how you want to live your life all the time. And I would draw your attention to that for the same reason that you should see that in your fellow man, your fellow woman, your, your fellow believer on this earth. People will let you down. People will have issues. They'll do the wrong thing. They may even do it intentionally. There are things that that we do that sometimes, if you're like me, I cannot even explain to you why I did that or said that. Somebody comes back and says, why did you say that? I don't know. I'm a sinner. And and I don't mean to be trite here because it does matter to both people. But the, the point I'm trying to make to you is, We need to recognize that in spite of that, God is still sovereign. And God's still at work in both people's lives, in our lives as a church, in in the greater church in the world. And so these blessings were given, the ceremony was done, and you can read the story of all of this really in Genesis chapters 25 to 36. There's a huge amount of the book of Genesis given uh, to this particular family. But when when you look at what God does with the seeming messes that we make, it should increase your faith. When I look at Jacob and Esau, I'm going, man, if, if, the, if these lying, cheating, conniving, you know, grungy, they were not exactly the epitome, you know, wow, pastor material, the hairy dude, you know, that, that's his, you know, that's what he's known for. You know, the one who's so driven by his own carnal senses that he'd sell his birthright for a bowl of beans. I mean, come on, this is not this is not like cream of crop, opposite side. That's who these guys are. But God still works in their lives. And God still brings forth his plan. And so I would also notice that the blessings that are that are passed out here, as Isaac blesses uh, Jacob and Esau, they're completely out of order according according to the Old Testament law. You're supposed to bless the firstborn. 
You're supposed to pass that blessing along. And so even though there is a mistake, in essence, in Isaac's theory of how he wants to see this play out, God still works it out for the good. For all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are the called according to his purposes, Romans 8.28 says. God does it in spite sometimes of what we do. And so be careful to not cram God in this little tiny box that eliminates the miraculous, that eliminates God being able to overcome a difficult situation. Verse 21, it goes on to say, And by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And so Isaac had blessed Jacob and Esau, and Jacob's sons had become the fathers of Israel's twelve tribes. And so now the blessing goes on, and, and it continues through these men who were very, very imperfect But I want you to see something else in this group of people. They're left irregardless with a godly heritage. It did matter what the parents did. And it did matter what the parents said. And it did matter how they conducted their lives. And in spite of their faults and in spite of their weaknesses, because I believe that largely their hearts were still good, they wanted to do the right thing. And as imperfectly as they carried those things out, God still did what he wanted to do, and their families grew because of it. And because of these men, the children of Israel come into existence. Because of these men, uh, we're going to ultimately, some 400 years later, end up with Moses, who will deliver the people out of the bondage of Egypt. And so just as Moses' parents will trust God to protect their son's life, um, we ought to be thinking the same way. You know, one of the things that happens when, you're, when your children leave the house, as, as ours are doing right now, is you have to say, they were always yours, God. They were actually never mine. They weren't mine and Connie's. They were God's. We got to borrow them for a while. They're a blessing from the Lord. That's what Scripture actually says about our children, that they're an inheritance from the Lord. And, and so... Our job is to impart godliness by faith to them. Let me tell you something. There's not a lot of tangible evidence in a 12-year-old that that's happened. There's not a lot of tangible evidence sometimes in teenagers that that's happened. There are sometimes there are issues and things that come up and you look at it and go, I know I taught you better. I am going to take you out of this world. I brought you into it. We, we all think those things. But we have to continue by faith to invest in our children's lives because God has a purpose for them. We don't know what that purpose is. We've kind of had this thing with with our son Brandon. He goes to Cal Cal Baptist University. He's doing good in school and all those kind of things. He comes home and, you know, a year and a half into college, he says, I think God's called me to be in the ministry. I'm like, what? Like, yay, but what? And and so you then see that God has been at work. Here I think he's going to be a lawyer or an engineer. And all of a sudden God begins to speak into his life. And now he wants to be a pastor. He's talking about the mission field. So we don't know what the outcome's going to be. We have to, by faith, trust God with the outcome. But we have to do what we can do today. And that's what we see in the lives of these families And notice verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning the bones. Other than Abraham, Joseph, probably in my, in my view, Joseph lived the greatest life of faith. 
Really, when you look at these, these men that are mentioned here, the two best examples, if you will, are Abraham and Joseph. And when you look at Joseph's life very particularly, he's the one that you can look at and go, man, the guy had everything against him. He is the closest, in my view, of all of the Old Testament saints, he is really the closest to a picture of Christ as far as I'm concerned. Most everything in his life you can equate to, to uh, the sacrifices that Jesus made. I mean, he's sold into slavery by his own family. I mean, he's, he's falsely accused. He's going to be murdered for that. He, he then ends up in Potiphar's house, and he's falsely accused there. And I mean, just everything in his life falls apart, but he refuses to cave into the world. And eventually... Uh, faith allowing those parents to turn their kids over and and by faith those children growing into the men and to the women we're going to see one mentioned here to the women that God has absolutely placed his hand on and the things that God wants to do through their lives it's that by faith element of this that, that performs these great things it's not the person because you can look at Joseph he wasn't exactly perfect either You can look at Abraham. Sure wasn't perfect, even though they're the best that we have. Moses we're going to get to in a minute. We know he wasn't perfect. The dude was a murderer. You see, although Joseph could have been used in a position where he was to build a personal empire, to look after himself, to do all those things, as faulty as his father was, as faulty as Jacob was, as faulty as... His father, Isaac, was. They still passed along the heritage in the Lord. And so as we as parents pass along that heritage in the Lord, we're allowing, in essence, God to have our children so that God can do whatever he wants with them. Because they're his. Our job is to simply prepare them for lives of faith. Say, look, Brandon Austin, there's going to come a time when you're going to go right back into the hands of the God that brought you into this earth. And our job's really finished. You know, you reach that place to where you're kind of almost on a pure level with your kids. And, you know, now they can beat me down the ski hill and they mock me openly. It's just, it's just like disgusting. But, but at the same time, when they start talking about the Lord and they talking about the things that they believe God wants to do with them, it's like, thank you, Jesus. Everything else is good. You know, the fact they didn't pick up their room all the time does not matter when they love Jesus and they're in their 20s. doesn't matter. Focus on the things of faith. Those are the things that really are going to matter. People look at it the other way. Oh, well, faith, you know, you can't see that. Oh, sure you can. Sure you can. I see it every day. Verse 23, And by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Very important principle here in this one verse. And it's very much re-emphasized in the book of Acts. There are times in your life that faith is going to say, I'm going to do what God asked me to do in spite of what the king says. Now, did I just tell you to not pay taxes? Absolutely not. Did I tell you to do anything that's against the penal code? No, I did not. Did I tell you to speed so that Officer Rodman has to pull you over in town? I did not. Because those things, God has established government for the good of mankind. Okay, They're there for a reason. 
But when that government steps over the boundaries of God's word and you are mandated to do what God's word plainly says you should not, then you owe the higher allegiance to God. And you need to be willing to suffer for it. And that's exactly what we see here in the life of Moses. He was no ordinary child. He was one of those guys that you look back on his life. Uh, it kind of gives us a picture of, if you will, some civil disobedience. Moses' mother knew how, no matter how wrong th- that their decision was, it was more wrong to take the life of the child. And it still remains more wrong to take the life of the child. That's why it should be an absolute abhorration to the body of Christ that our tax dollars get spent for abortion. We should be in uproar about it. Not just, well, you know, it doesn't matter. The fact that we fund Planned Parenthood. Give me a break. That is a nearly billion dollar organization that exists on almost two-thirds of their budget on U.S. taxpayer dollars, and they are the number one abortion provider in the United States. They don't do family planning. They do life ending as a large. And these are the types of things that, family of God, we need to care about. By faith, sometimes you've got to step into that place. Do I catch heat for what I just said openly to you? You better believe I do. I absolutely do. I have get some really not nice letters on these things. Some very heated things. When someone comes to you and says, Jeff, you have to honor a marriage between two men. And I say, I can't do it. I love these men because they're God's kids. But I will not marry them because it's an abomination to the Lord. And I'm not going to put God's stamp of approval on something that God doesn't approve of. I may have to go to jail, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go to jail. And then somebody else will get up and preach. And then if they get thrown in jail, somebody else is going to get up and preach. And it's not because I hate anybody. Because I know what God's Word says. And I can't go against the plain teaching of Scripture. And so if God ordained marriage, and He called it between a man and a woman, and He started, did the first one, I don't have a choice to change the definition because I don't like what the definition says. You see, that's faith. I have to trust God to get me out of jail. I got to trust that the you know, Pacific Justice Institute is going to come to my rescue. I got to trust them with my family that somehow they're going to get taken care of while I'm in jail. What I'm telling you is, is faith causes you to do extraordinary things for the cause of Christ. Not for just plain disobedience, not because you just don't like the law, but when the law tramples on God, We are bound by faith to do what God says, not what man says. Remember in Acts chapter 5, verse 26, it says this, And then when the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? You remember what was said? Guys, don't teach in Jesus' name anymore. Stop talking about God. 
don't do it. You realize what that would be for a pastor? You t- tell me not to talk about Jesus and not to talk about God or you're going to go to jail. What choice do you think I'm going to have to make? I'm going to have to go to jail. Okay, It's that simple. It's not hard. But I have to have faith to believe that God is my deliverer. I have to have faith that if I spend the rest of my days in prison, that my life will have counted for God's plans and purposes. I have to have that kind of faith. Notice what it goes on to say. And look, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And then Peter and the other apostles answered, Ought we to obey God rather than men? The answer is absolutely, you better believe it. You better believe it. There comes a time, by faith, you have to make that choice. And family of God, as we draw near to election time, this is the battle. This is the battle. Because if the church will stand up by faith and stand for what it's supposed to stand for, then we can right the ship. If the church does not stand up for what it's supposed to stand for, then we cannot right the ship. Mark my words, we cannot right the ship. If you continue to force people to pay for other people being lazy, you can't right the ship. If you continue to kill 1.5 million babies a year, we can't right the ship. If you continue to say that marriage is defined by whatever we want it to say, you cannot right the ship. We must stand for what God stands for. Moses' parents are the first example in Scripture of somebody doing that. We're not turning our kid over. You're not killing him. We don't care if you have to kill us. We're not telling you where he's at. This is the very same thing that Rosa Parks did when she refused to go to the back of the bus, okay? It's exactly what she did. This is wrong. I've been created as a child of God in His image, and i got every right to sit in the front seat. Okay? It's the same deal. That is exactly what it means. It's the same thing with Corey Ten Boom hiding Jewish people in the basement. It was against the law. But it was absolutely right with God. They were innocent and they were God's people. I think the church has lost a lot of its moxie faith. Just standing up and saying, you know what? I love you, but in Jesus' name, I'm willing to go to jail for this. I love you in Jesus' name. I don't care if you don't like the way I vote. I'm going to vote for somebody who I believe holds my values in Christ. I, I want that. We need to want that. When we're forced to disobey God, to do His will and do His way, family of God, be bold enough to stand up and take the punishment for it. Because that is what changes things. One woman on a bus changed the course, in essence, of the racial idiocy that's gone on in this nation. One woman on a bus said, I'm not going to do it. Arrest me, throw me in jail. But I believe I was created in God's image. You have no right to tell me I'm not created in God's image. We need some of that faith guts back. Verse 24. 
For it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be treated as the Pharaoh's daughter, son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share in the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting passion, passion, pleasures of sin. Read that carefully. Could not have Moses really done anything he wanted to do? Man, he was part of the royal family. He had the world as his oyster, as it were. He could have had anything and everything he wanted. But he says, you know what? Just like Daniel, I'm not eating of the king's delicacies. Won't do it. I'll go hungry first. And instead he chose the hard path. Moses chose the hard path. And again, I'm not telling you guys to go home and sell all your possessions and get an A-frame placard and go stand out on the corner and say, the end is near. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to go against your own conscience even because you need to be at peace with your own conscience. And when God convicts you of something, then do it. But what I am saying is there's times in the body of Christ when we need to choose the hard way, not the easy way. We need to choose the difficult path, not the easy path. The easy path anybody can walk without faith. It's that simple. You ever notice that when you're doing well financially and all everything's taken care of, it's just kind of like, oh, well, whatever. But when things are a little tight, you ever notice how you need to pray more and you're, you're asking about those purchases and you're looking, you know, all those kind of things. And you can apply this to virtually any area of your life. Whether it's the financial end of it, whether it's the relational end of it with other people. I mean, how many times do we take the easy path with people? Well, I'll just say what they want me to hear. I'll say what I think they want to hear, rather. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'm not going to tell them the truth. If I tell them the truth, they won't be my friend anymore. The only of God, sometimes you've got to tell them the truth. Even at the risk of losing them as a friend, you gain them as a brother. You gain them as a sister. You see, he didn't want to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And I think that you can look at this a little bit more in depth from a slightly different perspective. How about just the fleeting pleasures of carnality and carnal living? Not necessarily sin. But what about the things that are just kind of carnal? There's certainly not something that you can imagine the Lord enjoying with you. And that's an easy way to do that, by the way. If you cannot picture the Lord sitting down next to you enjoying that movie, then guess what? It is sin. Shocking, isn't it? But it really is. If you can't picture the Lord Jesus saying those things about that person when they're not there, it is sin. Now, maybe nobody else knows, but you do, and I do, we do. We need to not take pleasure in the things of the world. We need to allow the God God that created the universe to work in our own situations. Personalize it. It's one thing to say, oh, well, Moses, you know, of course, he had faith. I mean, look at his life. Do you realize the same faith that he has, you can have? I can have. Relatively easy to come by when we do things God's way. But when I choose to live for the world, 
I ostracize myself from that kind of faith. Moses made a tough choice. He had to give up his place in the palace. He had to give up his prestige. He had to give up his power. He had to give up his popularity. You see, these are things that we still struggle with, family of God. We still struggle with the same things. Sometimes to do the right thing is to choose the hard thing. Sometimes to do the right thing is to choose the difficult thing. Sometimes to walk by faith is to give up. To simply say, Lord, it's just not worth it. If I'm going to have to you know, bear this burden my, on my own the rest of my days, then I'm, I'm giving it up to you. You're going to have to deal with it because I can't. People talk about faith as, as almost a weakness. Faith is one of the greatest strengths that we as believers will ever possess because it gives us the ability to believe in the impossible. It gives us the ability to, to dare to trust God with things that we certainly want to do ourselves. And if we could, we would. But we can't, so we don't. And we say, Lord, it's in your to-do box, and I'm going to leave it in your hands. Faith helps us look beyond the world's value system and everything the world holds dear. And in our, in our Western way of life, particularly in our United States and California way of life, there are a lot of things that have been thrust in our in our face that's like, well, you don't have these things. You know, you don't amount to anything. It's just simply not true. That's a trap of the enemy. You're not less of a person because you don't own a house. If you can afford one, praise God. But if you can't, praise God. You live in a motorhome, praise God. Trailer a tent, praise God. I shared on Sunday, the poorest in our nation today live better than the wealthy 100 years ago. The poorest in our nation today have more expendable income than the average person who was of some means 100 years ago. It's crazy. And yet we say, well, you know, I just don't have this. Faith allows us to be content with what we have. It's another blessing for Moses. It would have been real easy to want some other things. And yet he was content to even suffer if necessary. How many Christians today would choose personal sacrifice or oppression rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of this life? It's a lot, folks. It's been me at times. I can say in my early walk with the Lord, I didn't have the faith. To trust God. You know, that old, you only get to go around once in life, so you better make it count. Praise God you only get to go around once in life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's like only one trip through the house of horrors, you know. <laughs> Not the other said, wow, I'm done. <laughs> Verse 26. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of the Messiah rather than to own the treasures of Egypt. Notice what it says there. It says own the treasures of Egypt, literally to inherit the, the, the position of Pharaoh. He was in line to become Pharaoh. For he was looking ahead to the great reward that God would give him. For it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. Amen? Remember what happened to him when they left Egypt? 
wasn't exactly good. He went with anywhere between 200,000 and 2 million knuckleheads. Ungrateful knuckleheads into the wilderness of sin. Wandered around out there for 40 years with those dopes. Well, the whole time, they were trying to figure out some way to get rid of them. Some way to, to cash in on the junk that they thought they were worth. At one point in time, it was so bad, they wanted to go back to Egypt. That's how nuts they were. Like, oh man, the leeks and the onions, we got vegetables, we got to roast our meat when we were there. Isn't it weird how when you get delivered from sin, you never remember the bad stuff? Think about it for a second. That's the way the enemy works. You see, by your carnal flesh, you're going, wow, just the next party will be better. By your carnal flesh, well, if I just have one more drink. By your carnal flesh, well, I'll just smoke a little more. By your carnal flesh, one more uh, girlfriend, one more boyfriend. By your carnal flesh, well, I'll just get the next bigger car, next bigger house. By your carnal flesh, you cannot satisfy yourself, period. No amount of working at that end will ever get it done. I was laughing today, Ann Romney, Mitt Romney's wife, they're, they're going after her now, which I knew it wouldn't be too long before they got onto their case. You realize the Romneys have a house here in Southern California. That house has an elevator in the garage because they have like eight cars on the top and four on the bottom. Ann Romney, because she doesn't want to drive a dirty car, has two of exactly the same Cadillacs so that one can be getting washed while the other one is, you know, being driven. And now they're going after it. You know, I don't know about you, but I've never, I've never had a car elevator. I've never actually been on a car elevator. I've been on a jet elevator on an aircraft carrier, which is very cool. But I don't have the, the $50, $60 million for an F-18, so I can't fly one. But there's no satiating the human appetite for stuff. And so by faith, we're content with what we have or even what we don't have. The picture here is the reward that's going to be given later. It's not the stuff here and now. The reward that would be given him. For by faith he left the land of Egypt. He had everything in Egypt. He says, you know what? I'm not keeping it. And Moses kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Kept right on marching. Can you imagine? Because of who he was, he could have gotten to the edge of the Red Sea. Here comes the knuckleheads. They're with him. They get there. We're going to die. Pharaoh's army is coming. Moses could have said, I'm the son of Pharaoh. I give up. The rest of these guys, you can kill them. I'm going back. Because looking at that wall of water on each side, not so sure I want to take this little journey. The shortest part of the Red Sea is 22 miles across. Shortest part that isn't like right at the Isthmus, which we don't believe that's where they crossed. 22 miles of water on both sides. Pharaoh's army behind. It would have been real easy to go, "Mm, not working out really good, I'm going back to the world. By faith, it says he kept going. Scripture says that God gives rewards to those who keep going. By faith we keep going. For it was by faith that Moses, verse 28 says, commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover. 
to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. Think about that for a second. Think about it for a second because you live it. If you're here tonight and you're in Christ Jesus, which I believe is every one of you, you're here tonight, you're in Christ Jesus as Lord. This applies to you because you've trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You've never seen Jesus. You weren't there at the crucifixion. You've never met anybody who saw Jesus. You weren't there when the blood and water spilled out from his side. You didn't see him get beat. You were not there at the crucifixion. You trusted him. Imagine now for a moment that the children of Israel had been in captivity for some 400 years total. You think they would have kind of gotten used to it by then? I'm thinking, yeah. They're getting ready to get They've had multiple generations of people born in slavery. And here all of a sudden, by faith, Moses is saying, well, you know, we got these plagues that are coming. You've kind of seen the frogs and the flies and the tail and all that kind of stuff. But the next one that's coming is going to be really bad. So to not get killed, here's what you do. You go up, get your goat, you get your sheep, you get some blood, smear it on the doorposts and the lintels of your house. So anything that gets you into the house vertically and anything that gets you into the house horizontally, just go out there and put some blood on it. Get you a hyssop, piece of hyssop and just sprinkle some blood on there. And all of a sudden, off in the distance, you hear the screaming of every woman in earshot as their firstborn children are taken. How much faith do you think it took for them to stay inside that house trusting in the blood? Family of God, for you, stay inside God's house and trust in the blood. It's what you got to do. Sometimes it ain't going to make sense. People are going to mock you. I guarantee you the next door neighbor who did not hear the word of the Lord, who said, are you nuts? Number one, it ain't going to happen. Hell's not real. Number two, God's too good. He would never do that kind of thing. Number three, I believe in Anubis. And I have been to Karnak, and I was there at the temple, and it's way bigger than your funky God that lives in a box, okay? You guys keep telling me your God hovers over a box. My God's got statues that are a 100 feet tall. I'm staying right here. Your blood stuff's funky. You go ahead and do your blood thing. There are a lot of people mocking the Jews for putting the blood on their on their homes. But I guarantee you the following morning, when death had come, they had a whole different attitude. We need to have that attitude. I'm trusting in the blood. I'm trusting everything. My firstborn, I'm trusting my whole family. I'm trusting you guys to the blood of Christ. This church, our nation, to the blood of Christ. For it was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians followed, they were all drowned. Beautiful picture here of the fact that you cannot fool God. All of your horses and chariots, all of your money, all your power, don't care if you live in the greatest country on earth, which we happen to live in. It won't save you when God's judgment comes. 
The same people, hear me well, that were walking through the sea were also covered by the blood. The same people that took the journey through the sea, through the trial, through the tribulation, trusted in the blood. They didn't have any horses and chariots to even trust in. They could have turned around and made another decision. So by faith, they made a choice. Same thing that you do when you believe in Christ Jesus. They followed through on dry ground. And it was by faith, verse 30 says, that the people of Israel noticed that now it moves into the promised land. Marched around Jericho seven days and the walls came crashing down. Do you realize how dumb that would have looked to the people inside of Jericho? Have you ever thought about that at all? That's one of those stories when you hear it first, you're just like, oh, this is just, you know, it's a nursery rhyme. I remember hearing this when I was like seven years old. It's just like, that's just stupid. I knew it was stupid at seven. If you only thought of things that you could understand with your mind. You see the wilderness wandering there, the Israelites, they skipped around. They, they never got to go into the promised land because they would not be obedient to God. And so God, in essence, had some catching up to do. He's working in their lives in a new way. He's saying, your parents didn't show you much faith. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to live by faith. God gives every generation an opportunity to live by faith. This is one of those beautiful pictures that God doesn't punish, does not heap, does not put on the children the sins of the fathers and the grandfathers and the the rest of their lineage. Now, you may be in circumstances that are difficult because of their failures, but God always gives every individual a choice to believe, to walk by faith. He has to or his word's not true, and he's not just. If you were to punish me for what my parents did, then he is not just, period. He could not possibly be just if he did that. And so he doesn't. And so here, as they wander around, the people finally get in, they go and they spy out the land. And here's this fortified city of Jericho. And God says, march around it for seven days. It would have seemed utterly ridiculous. Absurdity in the nth degree. And yet God says, it's in absurdity sometimes that you see me the best. Because if there were, imagine if God had said this. Think about it for a second. God tells them, go to Jericho and get your most eloquent speaker and take all of your armed men and go to the front city gate and make a plea with the king to talk to your orator and go inside and make a peace treaty so that you can at least go by. No God in that, right? You wouldn't have seen God at all. You'd have seen the oratory ability of whoever that was and the people that were brave enough to walk up to the gate. That's it. But when God tells us to do something that takes more than just good planning or simple skills that any one of us may obtain, then he gets the glory for it. There was zero doubt who did what at Jericho. Nobody was going, well, you know, I think we hit just the right frequency as we were marching. I've heard this story, by the way. You know, the people that try and explain it in a natural sense. Well, I think they got just the right resonance and the walls began to vibrate. And, you know, they didn't use mortar at that time. And and all of a sudden, the the rocks and everything started to crumble and, and the walls came down. 
that would be fine, except they fell out and the walls were already tilted in. So they should have fallen in. So even if their little theory worked, it doesn't explain how they got those pieces of large stone to go against gravity and the laws of physics. God works in the things that we think are unworkable. And in that trusting God, what did they win? Their first victory. Their first victory in the promised land was a victory of faith. It should have been the model for all the rest of them, but it wasn't. Interesting, the next battle that comes up is the battle of Ai. Remember what happens? They get whooped. Why? Ah, we'll just go kill them. I can do it. Was there a Jericho? Went around the walls a couple times. I was like, I was like one of the front marchers. And got over there, and I think it was my footstep that caused that wall to start to come down. And they head over to AI in this little stupid city, and they get killed. They get slaughtered. Why? Because they went in the flesh, not in faith. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, and I love that it says that. That means that anybody can be redeemed. That means that anybody can walk by faith. doesn't matter what your history was. It matters who you are. You can be a used-to-be-anything. Probably in this room, if we started naming off all the things we used to be, we'd probably have to all plug our ears. I don't want to hear that. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. There's another example of faith, just simple faith, but fierce faith. Simple thing, just trusting God. What an odd entry into this hall of faith, a Gentile and a prostitute. Joshua chapters 2 and 6 tell you, the, tell you her story demonstrating her faith by welcoming those spies. It says there in, in, Joshua, chap, in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, it says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She could see. Now look at what faith does. She could see the results of faith in other people's lives. She could see what had happened. She says, I know that God's given you this land. It's your land. The Lord, your God, is indeed God of heaven above and on earth below. You see, their faith transferred over to her. And she walked by faith. And what a picture for us. Let your faith shine. You may not think you have much, but I guarantee you've got more than somebody on this earth. I guarantee you have more than somebody on this earth. Somebody can benefit from your faith. Maybe it's going to be somebody with a drug problem, or maybe it's somebody with a relation problem. Somebody, somebody that you would think you know you couldn't possibly reach, but your faith speaks a lot louder than you do. Verse thirty-two. Her faith, by the by the way, was rewarded. She and her family were saved, and we actually read her name there in Matthew chapter one. What a crazy thing! She becomes one of the in the lineage of, of Jesus, our Lord. Her. How awesome is that? I've often wondered if my name would fit in there somewhere. Jeff, the dope. 
the knucklehead who did everything wrong initially. God's work is not limited to our human failures and sins. God's work is so far above what we actually are in a natural sense that we should all take comfort in that. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel, the prophets who all through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fiery flames, who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. That's what the NIV says. What an awesome thing. That there isn't even enough time. It got, in other words, here in Hebrews chapter 11, redundant. It's like we could just go on all night. Pull out any one of these characters, look at what God says about them, and what you're going to see is faith. For by faith. Lives of so many people recorded in the Old Testament. None of them, not one of them, not the best of them were perfect. Not, not the grandest character. I don't care who you pick in the Old Testament. doesn't matter who it is. You're going to find recorded a flaw or two. That's for you. That's for me. It's like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for, for what David represents to us. His failures are numerous. But his exaltation is great. That God said about him, he's a man after my own heart. How crazy is that? An adulterous murderer? A scaredy cat? You know, somebody about whom you can his faults were plainly there for everyone to see? Gideon was one of Israel's judges, known for conquering the Midianite army. Barak was uh, served with Deborah. He was another judge. Samson, of course, we know his story. He was a failure. I mean, a haircut got him in trouble. I mean, sheesh, you know, it's like, look, haircuts are us. Oh, no, I took a Nazarite vow. I'm not supposed to cut my hair. But, man, she is cute. Okay, go ahead and lop it off. I mean, you talk about an airhead. I mean, he is. You think about it. It's just like, okay. David, Samuel. They conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained the promises. They shut the mouth of lions. Think of these things. These were very flawed people who did extraordinary things because of faith. Very flawed people can do extraordinary things because of faith. Weakness becomes turned to strength. Remember Hezekiah regained his strength after he had a Battle with his weakness actually produced a son that he's probably not thankful for that he brought into this world. But the bottom line is, is that with God we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we're steadfast as we are immovable, as Scripture reminds us to, to be. There's no need to, to worry about those things that are temporal before our eyes. And again, it doesn't mean that you do dumb things. I'm not encouraging somebody to go out, well, you know, I'm bulletproof because I'm one of God's kids. Chances are the bullet's going to go right through your chest and you're going to die. But to an extent, you are bulletproof. Because you're not going out one minute sooner than God wants you to go. 
And some of us have been praying to get out for a while, and God hasn't let us go. So that means we're probably evil or something. I don't know. Some of us pray. You know, it's like, Lord, I want to go home. God knows better than you do. He's not taking you out of here any sooner than he's done with you. So stop sniveling. Verse 35, women received their dead by the resurrection and others were tortured and refused, refusing to accept release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And I love the fact that it just uses the, the word women here. Because you could get the impression that everybody who had faith was a man. That's just simply a bunch of hooey. It is not true. The Old Testament was filled with just as many women who exercised faith, maybe more so because they had knucklehead husbands. Think about it for a second. If you've been married for any length of time, you wives know what I'm saying. You get to go through things because we're not the sharpest tool in the shed sometimes. And we make dumb decisions and we do dumb things. And if you're listening to Jesus, uh, you're going to be praying for us and not necessarily fighting every decision, but you get to go through the lovely pain that we bring into your life. That was true in the Old Testament as well. And so here are these women, the widow, widow of Zarephath, is, you know, her son came back from the dead. The Shulamite woman that's mentioned there in 2 Kings. All these great women of faith as well. You know, sometimes I think we sell God short in who can possess faith. Sometimes the greatest faith is... is exercised by people who seemingly have the least. There was a young man that I met when I was down in Brazil. And I think about him. His name is Evandro. And Evandro was a, well, let's just say he was a troubled youth. He was born into a family where dad murdered mom Mom murdered his brother. Brother, other brother murdered mom. Other brother became a homosexual prostitute in Sao Paulo. This is the family that he was born into. Ivandro was born with one hand that was very withered, almost no fingers at all. And he wanted to, to do something with his life. But nobody would give him a chance until he met Jesus. He gave his life to Christ. And through one of the people he met at church in Curitiba, he ended up going to a mechanical engineering school. He is one of the top engineers in all of Brazil right now. And he cannot use one of his hands. But he can type about 60 words a minute. He can do any type of architectural drawing you ever wanted to see. He can use that withered hand for all kinds of crazy mouse movements. But you, you think, well, you know, how is somebody like that ever going to amount to anything? You would look at the outside and go, there's no hope there. Aren't you glad God doesn't see us that way? Because I'd be in that I'd be in that too. I'd amount to nothing. Verse thirty seven they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, is what scripture says. Hallelujah, isn't that awesome? The world was not worthy of them. They were too good for the world is what that actually says. They were so much on God's side that God took them home. That's the way to look at it. 
They were so favorable in God's eyes that God took them home. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. I'm talking about, of course, men like Zechariah and Isaiah. Manasseh was another one that was probably sawed and two put to death by the sword. That's the price that we pay for walking in faith sometimes. You know, probably not too many of you are going to be sawed in two, okay? Probably none of you. But you may lose a promotion. You may not get that job you want. You may lose a house. Yeah, you, you could suffer the loss of many things. Possible. But God's still God. And He hasn't lost sight. He didn't drop us. Didn't fall through the cracks. These were all commended for their faith. Notice this. And yet not one of them, not one of them actually received the results of that faith is what it actually says. Received what had been promised. When they died, they did not go straight to heaven. They went to Sheol. They went to the abode of the dead where they waited. In some cases, like David's, a thousand years. Now, I don't know that it was all that horrible there from what we know of it from Scripture. One side you're refreshed, the other side you're not. One side seems to be pretty nice because you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hanging out over there doing whatever. The other side, flaming fire that can't be quenched. So God took care of them, but they didn't receive the glorified bodies. They didn't receive their, their new minds. They didn't receive all the glories of heaven. They didn't receive any of that. They kept waiting and waiting and waiting. But they waited in faith. said, Lord, we trust you. They didn't see the kingdom come. They sure did when Jesus showed up on the day of his death. The Bible tells us that he first descended who ascended. He went down, checked out with the Old Testament saints. He had to be doing something for those three days. Amen? I think that's where he went. I believe he was hanging out with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Went to where Lazarus was at one point in time. Said, hey, how you guys doing? By the way, three days from now, it's going to be really good. Verse 40. For God had planned for something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Isn't that awesome? Something better. And so... You know, some some people have the, well, you know, that means they didn't get to spend, you know, all that time, you know, in the presence of the Lord. They kind of got cheated. Trust me, in the glories of heaven, an extra thousand years ain't going to matter in light of eternity. And whatever God does, he does perfectly and he does justly. So I, I particularly don't think that there's anything wrong with someone having gone to paradise as the thief on the cross knew it. I'm sure God took care of all of that. And he will take care of all of that. And he continues to take care of us. Amen? God is good. Real faith involves absolutely all of what we are and all of who we are together. And I pray that we will live lives of faith that are pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we are just so grateful for your amazing love for us, Lord. Again, we, we, I ask, God, help me. Continue to increase our faith. 
Help us to live lives that are just well-pleasing to you. That if we're forced with choices to follow you or follow the world, that we'll follow you. That when we're given the opportunity by faith to take a stand for you, we'll do so. Lord, help us to be as those that were at Jericho. Help us to be as Moses. Lord, help us by faith to trust you as we look forward to that reward. Lord, we do believe that to be absent from this body is to be present with you. And so by faith, we just simply receive even now that little glimpse of eternal life as we live out our lives on this earth. Lord, we know it gets better later, but help it to be wonderful now as we live our lives in faith. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.